Amen. Amen. Hey, good morning, City Light. Is Jesus alive? Yeah, he is. We have every reason to have all hope, all peace, all joy today. Praise Jesus. Hallelujah. I am so delighted to be here this morning with you. Uh, I love you. I think you love me. We're going to hear a word this morning from God that, uh, that hurts a little bit. It hurt me before it hurt you, okay? So just know that. I'm going to pray that we would have hearts that are receptive, as Roy preached about six weeks ago or so, to the Word of God. So would you join me in praying? God, we simply ask this morning, right now, you would do a supernatural work of softening our hearts. Make the soil in us tender. Whatever we hear from you this morning, God, we are asking that it brings change and it sows seeds that bear fruit. We ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen. So uh, there's a story of Jesus in Matthew chapter 21 where he is uh, in an entanglement, as he always is, with religious leaders and you know, Pharisees, scribes, the elites of his day. And he's having a conversation with them about who has authority. Uh, at this point in the gospel account, Jesus has done and said a lot of things that people marvel at. And many people say he speaks with such authority, he carries out these miracles with such authority. And so these religious leaders are coming to him and asking, how, like, where's this authority coming from? Is it, who, whose authority do you declare these things, especially that you can forgive sin? Who, whose authority is this? And so I love this story. It's so simple. Jesus responds with a little bit of a parable, and he tells the story of two sons. And in Matthew uh, chapter 21, starting in verse 28, he, he, he says, what do you think to, to these religious leaders? A man had two sons, and he went to the first and said, son, go out and work in the vineyard today. And the son answered, I will not. But afterward, he changed his mind and went. And he went to the other son and said the same, and he answered, I go, sir, but did not go. Which of the two did the will of his father? They said the first. Jesus said to them, truly I say to you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes go into the kingdom of God before you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, that's John the Baptist, and you did not believe him, but the tax collectors and the prostitutes, those you despise and look down on, believed him. And even when you saw it, you did not afterward change your minds and believe him. This is a picture of obedience. Um, how many of you can think of people in your lives that um, maybe have been a part of your story or just people you've crossed paths with, and it's remarkable to you how quick their yes is to God? You know what I'm talking about? You come across people, they, they tell you things that are so normal to them, and you marvel at the way that they are so obedient to God. They're a, a spirit-led person by definition, and that they, they hear something from God, they see it in his word, they, and they obey. Uh, I, I was a, friends with a guy named Aaron in college, and he, he and I roomed together. He was a little bit older than me. Aaron had Bible verses literally written in Sharpie all over our circa 1892 built home. It was nasty. Um, and he had Bible verses written all over the wall. 
And Aaron had this little pocket Bible that was literally the whole time I knew him, which was about two and a half years, in three pieces. And he never taped it. He just held, he just held it together. And, you know, when he's sitting at church in his chair like you are right now, he would take like the other two-thirds and, you know, put it in the seat next to him, <laughs> find the spot in this third. And he, um, he had a Bible that was so tattered and, and worn, right? And Aaron was the guy who, uh, we, we lived on Main Street. Uh, I went to Northwest Missouri State, once a Bearcat, always a Bearcat. Where are you, JR? Let's go. Um, so, uh, so people would come down the streets on, on Main Street from the bars. They were right there next to our house, and it'd be late at night, and Aaron would sit out on the front porch with his guitar, and he would just be playing, you know, um, Third Eye Blind and, and other music, and it would draw people in, and he would always share the gospel with them. Um, this was a guy that God just put in my life who had so much obedience to heaven. Uh, it, it just was so natural to him. It was an overflow in his life. I think of a small church that I was in in a, in a truck stop town of Missouri. This is acting up. Sorry, y'all. Um, and it, it was uh, Oak Grove, Missouri was where it was. And there, there was a, you know, a certain culture and vibe in this church. It wasn't super expressive. It was a lot of really old, like, Baptist people that just sat with their arms crossed, and whenever the preacher said something about a stance that they agreed with, they'd say, amen, you know, it was just kind of one of those. And, but here's something that stood out to me in that church was all the time, all the time. I'd be sitting there in the, the gathering, and there would be a person who'd come forward, and they had just given their life to Christ for the first time. This is like a normative thing, and they're in tears. Oftentimes, it's like guys that are bikers and, you know, truck drivers and stuff, and they'd be sharing their testimony, and they're like, there's just an older guy in your church who's just found me, shared the gospel with me faithfully, invited me to pray with him, um, and I've met Jesus, and my life has changed. And I just remember witnessing so many older people in that church just being faithful and obedient to God, and God was blessing it. And that was so normative for their life. Well, God told me to do it, so I'm going to do it. Um, I think about our church, like City Light Bennington. There's a multitude of people in this church who I hear your story, and I, I watch your life right now, and I just observe and it brings me so much joy because the, the gap in your life, and, and God, let it be for all of us, between the Lord commanding something and our yes is just like really short, right? There's not this delayed obedience, like there's this right away, I'm just going to be obedient to you, God, right now in this moment because I trust you. We're going to talk a little bit about that this morning. James, uh, if you open your, book, your Bible to James chapter 1, James chapter 1. He's going to move us toward obedience and what it looks like to be a disciple of Jesus. And I've titled this morning's sermon, you know me, they're always really profound, Do What He Says, okay? Do what he says. Uh, the legalists or the people, the ex-legalists in the room are like, whoa, 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 okay. Calm, breathe, do what he says. You're going to see from James, I want to demonstrate to you a handful of things. Number one is I want us to see the power of God's word. Like this book that we have in our possession, it's powerful. And then I want you to see what, it, what the intent of that is. What's the purpose of God's word? And then I want to move us as a church into what is the, the motivation for our obedience to Jesus? Uh, what's the blessing that's waiting on the other side of our obedience to Jesus? How does that overflow into other people's lives? And here's my prayer this morning. City Light, do I have your attention? Here, here's my honest, simple prayer this morning. It's that we would see what happens in our church if increasingly 
We multiplied not attenders, but disciples of Jesus who do what God says. And we would see what kind of blessing and kingdom influence would pour out on this church if we were found to be obedient. So let's talk about the word's power. In James chapter 1, I want you to look with me at verse 21. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant, that means over and over again, cyclical, hamster wheel sin, wickedness, and receive with meekness or humility the implanted word. Listen, we, um, we know that this book right here is filled with things to do and things not to do. Uh, if I asked, like, is that news to you? Nobody in the, in the room would be like, yes, that's news to me. We understand the Bible gives us a way to live, a way not to live. There are such things as commandments. There are things that the Lord commands us to do and things the Lord commands us to run away from and, and not do. That's not news to anyone in the room. But what James just said right here, this is what I love about the scriptures, is he called the Bible something that gives it an entirely new meaning. It means so much more. Did you notice he called it the implanted word? The implanted word. The what? It, what that means is that this book, the, the words on these pages have come and they've actually, they've made their home in your heart. They, they've been planted in your heart like a seed. And some of you, you know your story. Th this book has become like a part of you. It's stuck. You can't burn it. You can't just disregard it and throw it away. Like it's always there and it always has so much meaning to you. There's something holy and precious about this word. So many of us can testify that we have read many, many books, okay? We've been tested on our knowledge of those books. We've written pages and pages and papers to demonstrate our brilliance upon reading and learning from this book. But this book's different. This book is different. Uh, as the kids say, this book hits different, okay? <laughs> Hannah Tulsi's in the room somewhere. Um, listen, we... we regard this book as irreplaceable. We regard this book as something that we cherish and we could not live life without. I mean, this is where we turn for answers. This book is where we go in controversy and trouble. This is where we go in despair and pain and heartache and hopelessness. This is where we go in celebration and joy and thanksgiving. This is where we find those rapturous moments where God reveals himself to us that much more. And we've got the, these pages open, and, and if you're lucky, it's like Hollywood, a tear drops, you know, onto the, the page. God has met us, many of us, many times in his work. Um, church, he's not done. He's not done. There's so many promises and so much beauty and wonder in these pages. And Listen, uh, some of us may wonder, why in our story did we go from being somebody that was pretty indifferent toward this book? Like, it's just one of many religious books that are out there. Um, sure, it's got some good advice for life, but it became so precious to us. Why? Can I tell you why? I want to tell you why, because I think it gives God so much glory. Uh, it has everything to do with your identity. It has everything to do with who you are. Uh, Jesus teaches us in John chapter 3, um, he, he teaches us something about being born again. Um, 
All of us, the first time that we are born into this world, are born of the flesh. So what that means, friends, is that we are just human. That's it. Uh, There's no divine life in us. There's, There's no heavenly nature. Yes, we bear the image of God, but sin has marred that. And when we're born into this world, there's just deadness and dryness within us spiritually. And in some moment or, or some day or, or some season in your life, all of a sudden the books, the, the words in, in these pages became like dynamite. And they just went down into your heart and they just burst. Can anybody testify? Something came alive in you from these words. And all of a sudden we, we understand the significance of the story of the world that these pages are telling All of a sudden we understand that there is one true God and he's revealed himself to us in these pages. He's not left us to speculate about who he is and who's up there and what's happening and what's his plan. He's gifted it to us. We know that the main character of our lives is not us. It's the Savior, the Lord, the King, Jesus Christ. It's the one who came from heaven down to earth, bore our sin on a cross rose three days later to new life, that we might have new life, and is coming again to bring his kingdom, to bring a new heaven, a new earth. We know none of that apart from this precious book. And here's the thing. It may have been boring to you at one point, but now all of a sudden the good news of these scriptures and the person that they point to is everything to you. 1 Peter 1.23 actually gives us words to describe what happened in our lives when the Bible changed for us. For you have been born again, but not to a life that will quickly end. Your new life will last forever. Why? Because it comes from the eternal living word of God. (laughs) Wow. This Bible is alive. It's alive. The words are alive. The story is real, church. I want to know if we're understanding that This book is the breath of God. The word is the very breath of God. It's the breath of life. Christian, your story, my story, is that the word of God reached our ears and it finally broke down into our hearts and it brought with it life where there was death. Um, Our responsiveness to the word and our hunger for it and our amazement with it and um, our increasing understanding of it, it means that we went from being born of the flesh to being born of the Spirit. We were born again. We were made new. The eternal living Word of God, it took root and it began to change us forever. Has the Word of God, empowered by the Spirit of God, changed your life? Amen. Church, this is your Bible. Uh, I want you to know I I didn't start, and, and I'm sure this is the story for many people in the room, thinking these things about this book. Um. It's not that I understood what the word of God is and then I started to read it and understand it. It's that I read it and God used it to plant seeds in my heart that showed me this is who God is, this is who I am. This is why I can have hope. This is why I do not need to despair. This is why I can be forgiven. This is why I can be made new and have a brand new identity. This is why I can be made whole. This is where I can find healing. It's a book that points us to a person. And so um, I say all that to say, do 
whatever you can. First application of this morning. Do whatever you can. Do whatever you got to do to read this book. If you are depending right now on coming here once every two or three weeks and getting a little fix and moving on, that's better than nothing. But it's not even close to what it looks like to feast on and receive from God in his word by yourself day to day. Whatever you got to do, take up Bible reading. Take up hearing from the word of God in your life. And guess what? We're not, we just got started, y'all. That's not even where we're going this morning because James does not stop there. I want to take us where James takes us. I want to move into the word's purpose. If you pick it up with me in verse 22, he says, But be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. He's going to take us now into a comparison. It's like a simile of sorts that shows us a very foolish, and it's foolish, a warning from God. It's folly. It's foolish. A habit that we all have as modern American evangelical Christians. Like, this is the habit that James is about to press into. This was written so long ago, and it's still so applicable today. It's amazing how much fruit might come from this if we would just listen and heed to it. Here's what he says. If anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. About 10 years ago, I heard uh, author and pastor Francis Chan, many of you are probably familiar with him, tell an amazing story that stuck with me. He said, imagine you're a parent, um, I'll say a father and you have a child, say a son, and a father goes to his son and says, son, go clean your room. Okay, I'll do it, dad. Comes back the next day and father says, son, did you clean your room? Well, no, but dad, I did actually, I memorized what you said. You said, go clean your room, and I can tell you when you said it. The dad says, okay, great, uh, I need you to go clean your room. Okay, I'll do it. Comes back the next day. Son, have you cleaned your room? Well, not yet, but, but, but. So you know how I memorized it? Um, I've now taken that, and I, Dad, I learned how to not only write it, but say it in Greek. I, so I, you said, go clean your room, and now I'm going to say it to you in Greek. Isn't that amazing? And Dad says, I, I, asked, I told you to go clean your room. I need you to go clean your room. Okay, Dad, comes back the next day. Son, did you clean your room? Well, Dad, you know how I memorized it. Exactly, like word for word, what you said. And you know how I figured out how to say it in Greek. Well, okay, I also now, Dad, just so you know, I've posted it on social media, and I quoted you, so that other people will go clean their room. <laughs> and so I'm being a vessel for you, and I'm helping spread your, and, okay, son, I need you to clean your room. So last, last day, Dad finds his son, son, I'm nervous to ask, have you cleaned your room? I told you clean your room. And the son says, well, dad, you know, I memorized it. Um, I can say it and write it in Greek. I posted it on social media and you're going to love this. I actually got a ton of my friends together, invited them all over to my house. And we sat in the living room and we talked for like an hour about what it would look like and how we feel about cleaning our room and just like um, the reasons we don't and just that we can really relate to each other. It just felt it was so authentic. And honest. And um, so, Dad, you're pleased, right? 
And this story just goes to show us the heart of God is that he would have a church that just does what he says. A church that is obedient. Our Bible's purpose is that we would live into it. It's that we would live it. It's that we would not just be hearers of the word, but we would be doers. I want to read to you this beautiful picture from the prophet Isaiah. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty. Here it is, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. And look at this beautiful picture of fruit and blessing. For you shall go out in joy and be led forth in peace and mountains and the hills before you shall break forth into singing and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress. Instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle and it shall make a name for the Lord. An everlasting sign that will not be cut off. City light. What an amazing thought that each one of us, our simple steps of obedience to the word could produce in our community, in our region where God has called us and planted us as a church. A beautiful, fruitful picture. A ministry and life where there was death and hope where there was hopelessness and wholeness where there was brokenness. And that it should make a name for the Lord. Our hearing and doing the word of God makes a name for Christ right here in our area and beyond. Amen? Oh God, let it be true for our church. And here's the thing, this kind of duty or this kind of obedience, I should say, it's not dutiful, it's not blind, it's not meant to be numb and apathetic. It's altogether different. I want to move us into now, what is our motivation to obey? Like you hear this right now and you're going, okay, I get it. The word of God is powerful and it's meant for me to obey it. But let's just be honest. Like on a lot of days, we're not motivated to obey what we read in scripture. Many of us, we maybe have made a habit in our life of just doing, like avoiding the sins of commission, right? The things in in our life where God says, do not do that. And so we just work hard, like stay away from that. Don't do that. What about all the things that God calls us into and commands us as his disciples in scripture? To not be obedient to those things is the sin of omission. It's to ignore. It's to write off. It's to say, God, you're not allowed to be Lord in that area of my life. Did you know that in the gospel, somebody did the math, and just in the gospels alone, there's some 500 imperatives Now, this is not for you to be overwhelmed, okay? This is not for you to sit here and be like, okay, I need to list out all 500 of them and just start working really, really hard. You will die, okay? (laughs) Praise God for his grace. And also praise God for the power of his Holy Spirit that actually gives us a new will and a new desire to be obedient. It actually empowers us, strengthens us beyond what we have to be obedient to God. The the old saint, St. Augustine, he had a phrase that has, has always stuck with me. He says, God... Command what you will and supply what you command. Does that make sense? God, command what you will and then supply what you command. It's a trust in the fresh filling of the Holy Spirit day by day, moment by moment, that the divine nature of God can actually be in the believer and can actually compel us to to live in obedience to God. 
the whole point of the gospel is that we would be forgiven of sin and made a new human. We're not a person that goes from making some bad decisions to now making some better ones. We are literally an entirely new creation. We're a new person. The dead is gone. The new has come. And so my heart is that we would live accordingly. James 1.25, though, is going to give us great insight to this. Um, Here's what he says. But the one who looks into the perfect law, pay attention to these words, the law of liberty and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. James calls the word of God the perfect law of liberty. Another translation says, the perfect law that sets you free. This is incredible. This is incredible. The perfect law. So this is is saying my sin, my pride, the lust of my eyes, the lust of the flesh, all the things that need to be forgiven that are not living to God's standard, they've led me into slavery. It's saying my, my life apart from Jesus is a life that is enslaved. It's a life that is burdened. It's a life that has a master that's not Jesus, but the prince of the power of the air. It's the devil. It's saying my life upon birth, when I was born in the flesh, is in a prison cell, and it's stuck in there, and it's in shadows, and it's in darkness, and Jesus has come to shed light. Jesus has come to open the cell door. Jesus has come to lead us in the way everlasting. Jesus has come to set the captives free. This is the good news of the gospel. And so I want to say, God is the one who gives that liberation. God is the one who is giving us his word, not as a burden, but as a blessing. God is the one who gives us his word, not to take life from us. Do you hear me? It's not to take life from us. It's not to steal from us things. It's to bless us. It's to lead us into life. That's what this word is. Church, I want you to know, we get a sense of this from God's heart, from King David. In Psalm 1611, he says, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy, and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. City Light, I want you to know, this is our motivation. Don't miss it. Here it is. When we know the author, we obey the word. Can I say that again? When we know the author, we obey the word. Some of us are are one of two people right now. You have been living in some kind of uh, numb, apathetic, dutiful, lifeless obedience to God in many areas of your life. And then there are people who you have been faced right now in life, maybe lately, you will be soon, with the choice of obedience and disobedience. The thing that both parties need is very simple. It's to remember who Yahweh is. That's it. Church, can I just remind us today, if you're a Christian in the room, God created you, knit you together, formed you in your mother's womb. He loves you. He demonstrated that at a cross where he gave of his own life in your place. This is a God who sees you in your sin and moves toward you and pursues you. This is a God who sees you in captivity and breaks you free from the power of sin. This is a God who removes from you the penalty of sin. This is a God who says you are not poor anymore, but you are rich in Christ. 
This is a God who says you have been made clean. You are whole. You have been washed white as snow. This is a God who says, I want to be within you. I want to make your heart my dwelling place. This is a God who gives us his Holy Spirit. This is a God who walks with us. This is a God who is an ever-present help in time of need. This is a God who is way more powerful than we are. And who says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. This is a God who wills your good for his glory. And do we need more? This is a God who is sovereign over all things. This is a God who has no beginning and no end. This is a God who does not take any orders from us. We belong to him. He has all rights over all of his creation. This is a big God. This is a God who is the creator and sustainer of all things. That's this God. And he is a God who is coming to us and saying, this is my word. Obey it and you will find life. You will find blessing. Church, do we know the good will of God? Do we believe that this is more than just pages, but it is a person? Can I just encourage you right now? Whatever your Bible study method is, whatever habit you have of reading the word, a verse a day, whatever it is, do not miss the person for the pages. See the person. Consider who it is whose words you're reading. Be mindful as you read that you may have created a convenient image of God in your heart that you are very used to, and he wants to break that. He wants you to see him for all he really is. He wants you to know him for all that he really is. He wants you to get your heart. Are you paying attention? To get your heart in awe of him again. Why are we here? <laughs> Why are you here at Anchor Point Elementary on a Sunday morning? It's because you know something of this God. For, for, for many of you, he's broken into your life and changed your story. You didn't deserve any of that. We didn't merit any of it. It's all of grace. Is he not worthy of our obedience? Obedience is going to flow out of reverence. Obedience is going to flow out of gratitude. Obedience is going to flow out of love, trust. Obedience will flow from faith. Listen, we will never care about obeying someone that we do not know. We will never trust someone for whom we have no respect and fear. We will never get excited about serving someone that we don't love. John 14, 15, Jesus said, if you love me, obey my commandments. I want us to move forward um, in closing by talking about what's on the other side of obedience. We've seen the word's power. We've understood its purpose is that we might be doers of the word. We're understanding what motivates us to obey. What is waiting for us on the other side of obedience to the word? Well, I want you to read verse 25 with me again. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, thank you, Jesus, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts. What's the last phrase? He will be blessed in his doing. Some of us, we spend our entire Christian life thinking about, and, and rightly so, um, what's the, the prize that I'm going to get at the end of obedience? Like right now in this life, if I obey certain things and I do things the right way, uh, what is God going to reward me with at the end? Well, first of all, I want you to know that's not the gospel story. 
The gospel story is not that God lets us march our way up to him and he rewards us in turn. The gospel story is that God sees us at our worst and he comes all the way down the ladder to us and he saves us, pulls us from the pit, gives us his life, sustains us, promises us a new heaven, a new earth, a future, a security in him. The gospel is um, very different from any other world religion that there is. But I want you to understand, church, this morning that the blessing as it says in this, the blessing is in the obedience. The, the blessing of God is in obedience. Like just obeying is going to unlock blessing. You will be blessed in your doing of the word. Uh, I can think of a, a couple moments in my life that were just unforgettable moments. One of them was I used to be at Christ Community Church for Seven years. Love CCC here in our city. Great Kingdom Post. And I, I was feeling a tug to church planting. Roy and I had, had met, and we had really felt like God was pulling us to plant a church. And I will never forget an interaction I had with one of the elders at CCC. I went to them and I said, hey, uh, I, I, I'm, I'm under your leadership, under your authority. If you do not see the calling on my life, if you have concerns, and you would not bless me being a church planter, please tell me. And uh, they did, praise God, okay? You don't have like a bad blood pastor here, okay? Um, I did it anyways because the Lord told me. Um, so, but uh, there is a, 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 an elder who is just a wise, wise man. His name's Wendell. And he sat across the table from me, and I'll never forget. He said, um, give me one verse that is your motivation to church plant. And uh, I started crying. And I said, Wendell, I just think of Acts 20, 24. I think of the Apostle Paul. I think of him saying, I consider my life worth nothing except that I might be faithful to what the Lord has called me to, the task that he's given me, which is testifying to the good news of God's grace. And I was obedient to that in being a part of this church plan. Praise God. Uh, I think of another time where Kate and I, um, probably third or fourth year of marriage, we had a blow-up argument, and um, I know none of you have had those, but we, <laughs> we, uh, we, we really, I mean, it was bad, and, and I, I left the house, I probably slammed the door, jumped in the car, did something that I would just not even consider doing today, which is literally leave that, like get in my car and drive away. No offense if you do that, but that, I, so I leave, and um, I go to a Starbucks, and I don't frequent Starbucks, but... I sat down and I just felt like, okay, we're in a, we're in a bad place and uh, I, I know I, I play a part in this problem that we have. And so I just grabbed this. Um, it might have been the same, I don't remember, but I opened it up and in, um, in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, uh, I needed one verse. Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be counted children of God. They'll be, I think specifically it said that they will be identified as sons of God. So that really, okay. I think I was at that Starbucks for like 10 minutes. And I got in the car and I went back home. And I did whatever I could to make peace. And it blessed our marriage. Oh, that we would be a church that is better and better and better at that. I, I need more of that in my life. God, make me sensitive to your Holy Spirit. Uh, make me so obedient to promptings from you. Make me read something in your word and not just hear it, think about it, say, man, that was convicting. 
and walk away. Help me actually see it and say, Lord, what would you have me think differently about this? What would you do to change how I feel about a circumstance or a situation? What would you tell me to do? Um, To make Bible reading personal is not to say, okay, what does this teach me and what am I going to do about it? It's to actually change even the approach. It's to say, Lord, here I am. Who are you? What have you taught me? And what would you tell me to do about this? That's different. It's a different kind of Bible reading. And it's a a kind of reading that moves us into faithfulness and obedience. I love Psalm 1. It says, Oh, the joys of those who do not follow the advice of the wicked or stand around with sinners or join in with mockers, but here it is, they delight in the law of the Lord. Meditating on it day and night, they are like trees planted along the riverbank, bearing fruit each season. Their leaves never wither, and they prosper in all they read and study and parse and share opinions on and talk about. Oh, wait. No, no, no. They prosper in all they do. That's, that's the verse. Um, so here's another thing. I want us to talk about the blessing of uh, obedience and that it overflows in our life. This is the last thing in closing. Let's not forget the overflow of our obedience. Um, I, I love Isaiah 66 too. It says, I will bless those who have humble and contrite hearts who tremble at my word. Church, I just want you to know God is going to bless the example that you set. There are people watching you. Your own children are watching you if your parents in the room. There are friends, coworkers who are watching you. And my goodness, think about how you've been blessed by people who've been obedient to God's word in your life. How much that has inspired you to say, I want that. I want to be like that. I want to follow them as they follow Christ. God has it in mind for you to be someone who obeys, who does, who lives, even if it's weird, even if it's wacky, even if it's spontaneous, even if it's not normal, even if it doesn't feel like something the world would do. People will see that and it will be a faith builder, big time. I think of how God, if we use his word, 2 Timothy 3, all scripture is God-breathed. It's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. I want you to know this morning, people around you don't need your good advice as much as they need the word of God. And here's the solace and the comfort that we can take in this. When we have a friend who's in pain, when you have a family member who needs help, when somebody around you is hurting, they need direction, They need counsel. You can take great comfort in bringing them the word of God and not relying on yourself. You can take great comfort in just saying, this is what God says. I've had so many moments where men in my life, I've sat down and expected like an hour-long conversation where I bring to them something that's going on, and I'm expecting that we dive into all the the things and the wounds and the, you know, whatever it might be. And sometimes I just get men across the table from me who are like, well, just give me a second. Y'all know the pain of hearing the, ter- the, pain, the pages turning? Somebody's about to go somewhere, and then they read. Here's what God says. And that's about the substance of our conversation. And my goodness, is that what I need sometimes? Don't you just need simplicity? Don't you just need to be simple and surrendered in your walk with Jesus? So I, I want to close with this. Um, don't want to surprise you here, but we do dream of City Light Bennington growing. We do dream of a movement of God here in Northwest Omaha where families are changed from generation to generation. We do dream of being Jesus-centered, spirit-led disciples. 
We do dream of being people who know their spiritual gifts and who build the kingdom of God. We do dream of doing the work of evangelism. We do dream of God pouring out grace and changing the very atmosphere of our community here through this church. We have God-sized dreams. And I just want to encourage us, finally, how do we get there, City Light? It's going to happen in the quiet places, in the personal, private moments in our heart, behind closed doors when no one else is watching, hearing God's word, loving him, revering him, having faith in him, and then step by step doing what he says. Friends, here's what none of us really want to be our story. None of us want the story of this church to be that we were consistently educated beyond our obedience. That we continued to learn more and more and more and more but we lacked one thing that is crucial in all of our learning. Surrender. Surrender to the author. Surrender to God himself. If you are a person that's here this morning and you would say, I'm not yet a Christian, um, I would encourage you with two things. Number one, pick this up, go to the Gospel of John and just start to read. Start to Ask the question, who is Jesus Christ? Why should he be significant in my life? Why do all these people that I know have a testimony to share of him changing them and changing their life? I'm telling you, you will meet someone who will change your life forever. Your destiny will change. Your eternity will change. And number two is I want you to know that God wants to forgive you. God wants you to actually experience his grace. Jesus came at great cost to himself and shed his blood as a substitute in your place for your sin. God gave Jesus what you deserve so that you can receive what Jesus, who is faithful and obedient, who is a substitute in life for you, deserves. By faith, you can become a Christian if you trust in that sacrifice, if you trust that he rose from the grave and he can be alive in you. If you ask Jesus for forgiveness, he will delight to give it to you. Let's pray. God, we ask that you would not let your word even this morning go without application in our lives. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you will fill us to obedience. And God, would you fill us with expectation as we dream and think about what it would look like for each of us to even take one more step in the direction of obedience, that you might bless our church because our obedience blesses you. It's in your name we pray.